Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Keep the Line Moving, the podcast designed to talk about leadership, life, and inspiration. I am your host, Chris Gargano. This guest this week will take us behind the scenes of the player evaluation process of the National Football League. He's the assistant general manager of the Indianapolis Colts, and his name is Ed Dodds. We worked together at the Oakland Raiders many years ago. Ed has had a great career. He went from the Raiders to the Seattle Seahawks for 10 years, and then in 2017, he became an Indianapolis Colt. According to Sports Illustrated's Albert Breer, quote, Dodds is one of the NFL's most revered evaluators, an old-school, straightforward scout who also happened to help build Indy's technology. Now, he's not a scout anymore, but that's his background. He will talk about that technology and how the Colts evaluate players. That and so much more in this discussion. All right, Ed Dodds, it is great to see you. We have known each other a long time. It's been a long time since our days in the silver and black, and that was a great place to start, I would assume, for you, right? I loved it. I, I was, uh, I tell people they don't believe it. So I, even growing up in a town, you know, probably right out a hundred miles from the border of Mexico and South Texas. Um, I grew up a Raider fan because we had a uh, family friend that played for the Raiders. And then as a, as a kid, I got, you know, I got sucked in by the, you know, the aura of the silver and black, the, you know, they were always kind of the villain, but the villain you loved, you know, it's true. And then yeah. by working there, Ed, did, did they live up to your, you know, childhood analysis of who they were as a franchise? Oh, yeah. I mean, and it, it was truly run by one man when when I worked there. Um, I joke around. There's a friend of mine that works there now. And I told him, I said, you know, it doesn't really count. Like you, you, you weren't there with with Al Davis. So it does. You, you, you have no idea until you work for him. Exactly. Yeah. I remember when he used to walk in the building and we all would know, you know, and he made, he had such a presence, a strong presence, uh, very, very interesting, complex and rewarding. Right. I mean, I learned so much there. I'm sure you did as well. You learned how to deal with ownership, talk to an owner and one that, you know, he, if he asked you a question, either say, I don't know, or give him the answer you believe, but don't guess. Because if you guess, you're going to get it. And because he knows the answer typically when he asks you a question. That's a great point. And that, that you know, kind of in essence trained us all to be well-researched, know your topic, and not be caught by surprise. And it's probably the value also of saying, I don't know. And many people in leadership positions don't necessarily correlate that to great leadership. But it is because there's other people around you that do know, right? Yeah. I mean, he, he would – he would give you a little sly remark if you said, I don't know. But I said, well, I'll go find out, but I'm not going to guess, you know, but I'll go find out. And I'll get back to you. You had a tenacity about you, even as a young guy, you know, and you came out of Texas and you you came to the Bay Area. You were working for the then Oakland Raiders. And I could tell that you were committed to a career in football. Did you know or I should phrase it this way? When did you know that you would have a career in football? You know, love football, wasn't playing anymore, but um, I was like, I don't know about this coaching thing. When I was like 15 years old, I started going out to camp, and it would only be for a month at a time because I'm in high school and playing football, and and it was it was not – they didn't have interns and personnel or anything like that, but it was just you're a gopher, right? You're just running, getting mail, getting coffee, making coffees, whatever it is. And uh, I was working for George Karras mainly, 
and then Mark Ortega as well. And, um, you know, that was awesome as a 15 year old kid, 16 year old kid and 17. I mean, I did it a number of years and, uh, and then that just, that's where I kind of met a lot of the people there, stayed in touch. Was there a realization to you when you realized that you liked the particulars of the job, the daily events of the job, observing talent, and when you started to understand, you know, hey, I like this part of the National Football League, or this really interests me. How did that process go? Like, what was it about it that made it, you know, hey, I can do this. I want to do this. Well, I think when you're a kid, you, you probably think that, uh, like, the coaches do all that. You know, you don't even have you – don't, you don't even realize there's a personnel department. And, uh, like, you hear scouts and stuff, but it's usually when you're a kid more associated with baseball. You know, like there's these baseball guys that are all over the place. And, uh, but one of those summers, um, when I was out there, um, you know, Mike Lombardi actually knew I was GAing. So I had some football background and I give him credit to this day because he kind of, he just started using me. He's like, Hey, come. And then I was, I was always good on computers and they had their personnel system they were using and, Someone taught taught me real quick, and I kind of figured it out. The rest of it on my own, and I was updating depth charts and and doing. Back then, we were doing the wire manually. Now we just get data dumped in, and it's reflected in our system. But um, I was going through every day and making sure that the right people were waived, the right people were terminated, signed, whatever it was. For that month, I would I was out there, and then um, you know and. And I th and I'm kind of I would see Mike in his room at the Napa Valley Marriott, and I'm going like, what do these guys do? You know, he's watching tape, and and uh, you didn't really realize what they do until you just kind of watch, and uh, and then you start putting it all together the more you're around it. But that you know, it was just a few people that that helped me. It was it was Mike, it was Dave McLuhan, Paul Kelly, Mark Ortega. I mean, those those were the big four that you know I was exposed to all of them, helped them when I was out there and, uh, and they helped me get a job. So let, let's fast forward and then we'll, we'll fill in the blanks as well. So tell everybody what you're the assistant general manager. You, you, you're helping Chris Ballard, the GM every day. You're helping all the pro guys, all the college, but tell everybody the nature of your job and then we'll work our way back again to fill in the blanks that got you this incredible opportunity. Yeah, I think um, the best way to put it, you know, the biggest thing for, for Chris is to be able to to see the, the whole strategic view, you know, the 30,000 foot view and then manage up, right? Like handle the owner and also the head coach. And and the more I can do just running the day-to-day -day in personnel, that gives him more time to do that. Um, he doesn't have to worry about, um, you know, hey, what's uh, – are the guys out doing what they're supposed to be doing on the road or the pro guys, um, you know, that we have a emergency list set like it should be. Um, he did. I just, I take pride. Like he doesn't have to worry about that stuff. And then um, also we have the type of relationship um, that, I mean, he's not, a, he's not like a yeller screamer at people or anything like that. But I, I think it's, he's still the boss. So people are afraid to say something to him. Like I'm, I'm the one that can kind of go in there and go, Hey, you sure you want to do this? Like, let's, let's hang on here. And then we just fit. Um, Cause we're, we're opposites. Like he's a, 
he's got incredible patience. Um, drives me crazy sometimes, but he'll wait till the last second to make a decision. And I'm always worried about running out of time and the correct spot, you know, or decision or spot or whatever the way to do it is probably somewhere in the middle, but it just, it balances it out. Like he's real, um, broad. I'm real detailed. So, um, he lets me, and he lets me do it. Like he gives me complete autonomy, lets me handle both departments. Um, you know, I do all our schedules for the year. Um, it just, it works great. But I think the biggest thing is running the day to day and giving him the time to deal with ownership and the head coach. So you and Chris have complementary styles. So when you come together, you're making great decisions because of that, right? The patience and the versus the detail and somewhere in between works. So when you say, so you've got scouts all over the country, you're setting up pro days, you're setting up interviews, you're setting up players that come on premise, right? To talk to you. How complex is that? And how do you navigate that? Because as you said, that's your primary responsibility. Whereas Chris is responsible for ownership updates, um, the president and things of that nature. Literally the week after the draft, I sit down and the minute I get that memo, important dates. Um, and it's, and then it also it's so cyclical, right? Like we can pretty much say on October 12th in three years, what I'm going to be doing. And so I know when, and I know when all the major muscle movements are, because I just want to get it out of the way. And it's much easier when you get it done ahead of time, but I put a schedule together when all these major events are going to be, then I'll layer in all the league's important dates. And a lot of those have, you know, started the league year. Um, when you have to tag someone, a certain, you know, there's a franchise tag or fifth year options, all that type of stuff. Um, and then, uh, you know, just making sure I got the cut down day correct. Um, and then after that, we put, I start putting our stuff in there and, it took me about three years uh, when I got here, but I basically wrote like a, like we have our college manual and our pro manual that we give to our scouts. And then we have, I have this other book or whatever you want to call it. I don't print anything out, but yeah, I basically have a document that says what each one of those things on the calendar is and why we do it, how we do it. It, it explains it all. And there's a couple guys that, that i lean on a lot like our, you know, our director of player personnel, um, Kevin Rogers, Matt Turpening, our college director, and, and then Mitch Chester, our, our college coordinator, and John Shaw, our pro director. And, and I, uh, you know, now they know, but if they don't, I'm like, hey, if you need to reference something, go read this. You know, I'll tell you how to do it, but then go read this too. Your content department does a great show called With the Next Pick, right? Mm-hmm. And I was watching that in preparation and obviously knowing you helps as well. And in being in the NFL for many years, like myself, I understand what you're saying. As you look at this, to what advantage do the Indianapolis Colts have by your preparation? Now, not you singularly, but you're driving this, but your entire football personnel department, including Chris, in your estimation, what advantage do you have by being very buttoned up and prepared for each section of the NFL season and year. I just think we're extremely thorough in our evaluation process. I mean, we don't, there's a, there's a level of accounting that goes into every player. Um, Even if we don't quote like somebody, um, we still, we're going to know everything about them. Um, 
we're not going to, because I mean, there, there's, there's probably been times with the Colts, with other teams I've been with when maybe we didn't study someone as, as thoroughly as we should. And then they're there and you're like, Whoa, you know, should we, should we trade up and go get this guy or, or not? Or, um, but that's, and, and this system of scouting was kind of, you know, it was started by Ron Wolf and then it went to, from the Raiders and then it goes to green Bay and, uh, and then John Schneider brings it to, to Seattle. That's where I'm, you know, I was really immersed in it. And then, uh, and Chris was in it in Kansas city with John Dorsey and, you know, I'm in green Bay still, I'm sure doing it, um, duty and those guys, but, I think all of us have probably evolved it in our own way a little bit and tweaked it, but I just, I've been in other systems as well. Um, this one's just, to me, it's the most thorough. And then um, I just, I, I love, like, I love like our, uh, we got some guys, Sean Welch, Parker Fair and uh, Danny Dow. And then Matt Boothby is kind of the overarching IT guy, but you know, we're, we've built a system in-house that, like, I just, everything, everything we do in that system, I want it to support decision-making, right? Like, I don't, I can't, I'm not smart enough to have all these papers laying around with all this information, and I don't want to go look it up. I want everything in front of me on the screen that's important, like a quick snapshot. I don't want too much, because then you get paralyzed, but they've done a great job of, building this thing. I mean, we're still, we're still, it'll never stop, right? It'll keep iterating and growing and adding to it. And that's, it just, I just think being organized and, and being thorough, you're going to, you're still going to make mistakes, but you're going to minimize them. So you alluded to your time with Seattle, right? Where they implemented a similar um, way in which to evaluate players and stay organized throughout the year, right? To maximize the pre-combine and, and pro days and things of that nature. So Snyder and Pete Carroll, the head coach, tell me about that atmosphere and what you learned from those guys and just your entire um, time as a Seahawk. Yeah, both of those guys, I think um... – you know, you, you just never rest on your laurels. You just, you keep trying to get better, even if you're at the top, which we were um, one year. And then the next year, you know, we were the, the loser of the Super Bowl, but we came in each season acting like we didn't have all the answers and we, we were going to try and we we're going to keep trying to get better. And, and then just the way they, because you always get asked when you, you know, you do a GM interview or something like, Hey, who has final say? Well, Pete had it, but, I never saw him, like he trusted John. Like if John said, we need to pick this player, that's how it went. But John John also wasn't gonna pick a player that the coaches weren't excited about. I mean, and that's, so it really doesn't matter who has final say, you just have to have that harmonious relationship, which they have and they've had for years. And they trust each other, they let each other do their jobs and it works. I mean, you can't, you can't pick a player that the coaches aren't excited about. It ain't going to work, even if he's a good player. And then on the flip side, we can't just say, screw you guys. We're picking him because they're, they're not going to be excited to coach him. It ain't going to work. 
when you have a scout and everybody's in the room and you're having conversations, you're also watching the people that work for the Colts and how they're reacting to their own evaluation of said player, right? So you know mm-hmm. a person and how they are excited about a, a guy, right? And if they're you know, kind of tempering their excitement and they were more excited in February than they are in March, how much do you pay attention to their body language and the word choices they're using to evaluate these athletes? Because you have to make these decisions, yourself, Chris, and everybody. So tell me about that element to your staff. No, that's a good point because, you know, and that that takes, like, when I left Seattle, we had all been together for a long time. Um, And regardless of whatever grade the scout had, you knew – how much they liked the, the player by how they spoke about him and, or did not like the player, you know, what we're not excited about him. And, uh, same thing. Now we've been together six years. We haven't had a lot of turnover and I just like, I know, okay, this guy's a little bit harder of a grader or this guy's a, um, a high grader, you know, and, and those guys even know that, you know, like I can say to one of them, like, Hey, you sure he's really 65, you know, and he's like, no, he's probably more six up. I'm like, oh, God, you know, that's what I was thinking. And um, and then you can you can tell, too, like what you're alluding to, a guy's talking and he's he's got a big grade on him, but he's kind of down. And you're like, well, what's the deal? What's he's like, well, he just had a really crummy spring or, you know, he was kind of an idiot at the pro day. And, you know, I was worried about some of his character stuff going into that. And it just proved true, you know, so. You're like, well, if you're not comfortable with him, you know, we'll, we got to do more work on him or, and if we can't get comfortable with him, then we're probably not taking him. Ed, one of the most fascinating parts of player evaluation, in my opinion, are the interviews that are done at the combine, right? So you're able to talk to these guys at different times throughout the year, but the, the 20 minutes or so, I think at the combine is crucial because that's go time, right? It's the end of February, beginning of March draft is at the end of April. It's starting to get real for these athletes and for the NFL evaluators. What is your approach yourself, Chris, and the rest of the group's approach within those interviews? Yeah. So at the combine specifically, um, because our scouts have been in schools, they've talked to a ton of people about these players. In some instances, they've talked to the player already. And, um, we, we leave the combine interview for our coaches. So we, uh, we give our coach, we've got, we've already given the coaches, like, here's the, the nuts and bolts, his biography, if you will, like where he grew up, where's, whose parents are, who's in his family, um, any issues he's had. We give them all that stuff. So when the player walks in the room, they're, they're used to the other teams wanting to talk about that stuff and tell their story. And we're, we're like, Hey, sit down. We ain't got time. We got 18 minutes. Sit down. We're getting right to football. We want to, what we want to take out of that meeting is, uh, how much football do they know? like get a baseline on their football knowledge and, and their mental horsepower. So we, uh, we go right into that. Like we, we start with their tape and then we put on our tape and we, we talk to them about situations. We teach them some plays. We have them teach the plays back to us. Um, and, and then, you know, after the combine, we continue on like our scouts do and our coaches do as well with, with just the normal, you know, our scouts are going to go more into the background personality stuff. Coaches are going to go with football learning because that that's something we can't find out. We're not we're not coaches, you know. We we know some football, but we we're not going to get up on a board and scheme and 
do all that sort of thing. So we leave that to our coaches. But our coaches are also going to get a feel for the guy's personality and whether they can work with him and, and that sort of thing. If you were to weight it, ability on the field, so the technical elements of the game of football and that person, to the personality and their ability to retain information, diagram a play, be a good teammate, how do you weigh those two things against one another percentage-wise? I think it probably varies. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like, there is a sliding scale on how talented – like, if you're super talented, you're going to put up with a little more. And then – and it also impacts, like, where is your locker room at, your culture? Can it handle someone that has some issues off the field and is a little hard to deal with that's really talented? But typically, the more talented you are, you know, the more we're going to put up with. But it also – depends on the locker room and your culture, you know, where you are in your building. And you don't want too many of those guys because they are a drain on, um, you know, I just, you've seen it too many times. I mean, the, the coach or scout, somebody will get excited about them. And, and you're like, you know, the player development guys being run ragged or ops people being run ragged. Like he's the guy's always late, always asking where he needs to be, when he needs to be there or he's not there. Somebody's always got to hold his hand. Like, or, you know, he gives you a, uh, a black eye in the media. He does something stupid off the field. And then there's certain things that are just non-negotiable with us. You know, it, you, there's a certain, certain things that we're not going to, yeah, hey, he's off the board. All right, let's close with some all-star moments. You got to answer these quick, okay? Don't think. All right, <laughs> All right Ed? <laughs> Here we go. All-star moments. Question number one. Here we go. How do you deal with adversity? Uh, just work. I mean, I just go just go back to the process. Perfect. Two, how do you give yourself fuel? Uh, make sure uh, make sure I work out every day. Three, what does never give up mean to you? Mental toughness. Four, what is the value of collaboration? You don't stifle any new ideas. Five, hiring people. What do you look for in an ideal candidate? Uh, loyalty and intelligence. Awesome. Six, final question. Describe yourself as a leader in one sentence. Demanding but loving. So this, what, where, I'm, how, I'm into this podcast since January. That's the first time I've been rendered speechless. Demanding but loving. Ed, I love that. I love it, man. Thank you. You got it. Listen, and thank you for doing this. Continued success. I wish you nothing but the best. And I appreciate your time, my friend. Appreciate you. And we thank Ed very much for being on the show. My number one takeaway is this, paying it forward. All the life lessons and obviously professional lessons that Ed learned while at Oakland Raider, then 10 years at the Seattle Seahawks, and now his time at the Indianapolis Colts. He's put that into a process to help the Colts personnel department and general manager, obviously Chris Ballard, do the best they can each and every year in picking the roster for the upcoming season. You can hear all the wisdom and knowledge from Ed that he's willing to share with everybody, people coming into the business, people he's worked with for several years, or anyone that may need help. I appreciated Ed's stories and clarity of information so much during this conversation. Hope you did as well.
For our podcast producer, Paul Salazar, I am Chris Gargano. We will see you next week, everybody, with another great guest on Keep the Line Moving. We thank you for listening to Keep the Line Moving. We would love it if you subscribed or left a review. For more podcast episodes, check out our YouTube page. If you'd like to work with the Gargano Leadership Group, check out our website. This has been a GLG production, copyright 2023. For our podcast producer, Paul Salazar, and our marketing coordinator, Savin Narwhal. Have a great week, everyone.